Hundreds of drivers with dozens of teams compete in multiple series with one ultimate goal, to race in the Indianapolis 500. Yet each year, only 33 dreams come true. These are the stories that make up the 33 Dreams of Indy. Welcome back to 33 Dreams of Indy. I'm your host, Robert Earl, and today I am pleased to be joined by Dakota Dickerson. Dakota, how are you doing today? Great. Thanks for having me on. You got it. Fantastic. Dakota, 23 years old, San Diego, California. How does someone from San Diego get into the open wheel ranks? Yeah, so my family was really big into racing. My grandma actually raced go-karts when she was younger, kind of passed that on to my dad who also raced karts, but they were always big IndyCar fans. They like the Trans Am stuff too. So when Riverside was still around, they used to go watch the races up there. Um, so I started racing karts when I was six, kind of your classic story, moving up through the local, regional, national ranks through karting. And I was fortunate enough to win a couple scholarships, and that's kind of what kick-started my open wheel career. So 2015, a Team USA scholarship winner. Uh, for those that, that listen, uh, last year in the Road to Indy, the IndyCar champion in all three levels of the Road to Indy were uh, Team USA scholarship winners. And then also, I'm jumping ahead of myself, but then the, the F3 Americas champion was a Team USA. So uh, great pedigree for that. You went from that Team USA scholarship. Uh, tell me about the uh, Skip Barber uh, shootout that you had and uh, the scholarship that you won for USF 2000. What was that experience like? For sure. I mean, the so it all kind of started in late 2014, actually. So when I did the go-karts, the Karts to Cars scholarship, that's what got me a full program in Skip Barber in their summer series. So during that time, we were kind of just still getting grips on open wheel racing. That's when Jeremy came in and he scouts a lot of great talent, like you said. I mean, the, the stats last year for Team USA drivers were fantastic between the road mm -hmm. to Indy and obviously us on the F3 side. Um, but so I got the chance to go overseas, go over to England for a little bit, um, came back over, and the next week actually was the Skip Harbor Championship mm -hmm. shootout, which unfortunately is no longer available in that format. Mazda still provides, well, the road to Indy still provides a scholarship to get into USF 2000, but back then basically what it was was a five race shootout. Um, you accumulated points over that shootout and the guy with the most amount of points at the end won. So we won three of the five races and finished on the podium and the other two, which secured us enough points for the championship. So that got us the $200,000 scholarship to go do USF 2000. Uh, we went with Afterburner Autosport in 2016 and that was kind of, I guess, our first real professional uh, step towards making our way towards IndyCar. Mm -hmm. Uh, runner-up and rookie of the year with that, and and I'm going to uh, piggyback on the Skip Barber. I had the pleasure of uh, attending the uh, Lucas Oil School of Racing shootout this year. Uh, so uh, a little bit uh, similar, uh, not so much the on track, although they they were evaluating them every time that they were on track. Um, but it was the whole package that they were looking for. And the winner of that won a full year into their equivalent of Skip Barber, their racing school uh, that goes into that. And uh, so we've got an upcoming episode with Eli Navarro that won that, uh, uh, that goes into it. So uh, Eli would even make you feel old as, <laughs> as we start to, to go through this. So uh, runner up for the rookie of the year made the transition then from uh, the USF 2000 to also running the F4. Um, at the time, that wasn't quite as uh, uh, done as much 
as we've seen it say in the last year or two of, of drivers making the move back and forth, had a great opportunity open up to you and you went on the F4 path, correct? For sure. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it wasn't really as common for drivers to bounce in between F4 and USF 2000, kind of like what we're seeing now. Uh, F4 was only, when I did it, was only in its second year of running, of operating. They started in 2016. So um, in 2017, we started off the season with Newman Walks Racing in USF 2000 and kind of ran out of funds. Well, we didn't run out of funds, but we knew that we weren't going to be able to finish the season in USF 2000 based off of our budget. So we kind of went an alternate route and went over to F4 with an opportunity that was going over there. So we managed to do the last half of the season. And kind of when I first was doing F4, I wasn't necessarily thinking that it was going to be something that I could continue on going into F3, but more just something to keep me in open wheel racing. Because at the time, we weren't really sure what was going to happen for 2017. But as we kind of got more and more success on the, on the F4 side of things, another opportunity popped up to do a full championship in 2018 with DC Autosport. And that's kind of what really solidified our role over on the F4 and F3 ranks. Uh, 2018 F4 champion, um, champion of the series. Uh, piggybacks you then into the F3 championship to be able to compete. Um, I've seen the car differences between the F4 and the F3. Um, I would almost put it that it's the equivalent of jumping from the USF 2000 car to an Indy Lights car, mm -hmm. that there's not really the in-between uh, getting to spend the last weekend with uh, Kent Vaccaro and his uh, F3 car. Those Ligiers are, are beasts. They really are something else. Uh, and so you made the jump and then also were able to win the championship. For sure. I mean, so like you're saying, the, the, the difference between F4 and F3 is pretty massive. Um, you go from having very little arrow to loads of arrow in between the JSF3 and JSF4, and then you've got basically nearly double the horsepower, 160 in the F4 car to 303 in the F3. So it's a big jump for sure. Um, and it's definitely something that takes a little bit of time to get used to. But I think what's really great is the jump from F4 to F3 is really preparing you for that next step, whether going from F3 to Indy Lights or something different like we took going to LMP3 I think that jump and that acclimation that driver experience is something that's really going to help them moving down the road but for us we were really fortunate to get a couple days of preseason testing in in the 2019 season so uh, we actually didn't sign with Global until March which is about a month before the start of the season yeah um, so kind of had to get the ball rolling pretty quickly there but um, you know once we got the season started it was pretty pretty good out of the gate. We got, I think, a podium in our first race and then a win in our second race. So really got the ball going there. Sometimes that teamwork really has to click. You can be the driver with all the accolades. You can have the sponsorship that has all the money. If it just doesn't click together as to your feedback, what you're giving to the team, what the team is actually providing, I find that aspect as fascinating as sometimes just the results on the, on the track. Would you agree? Absolutely. I mean, even even on the open wheel side where you kind of only on the junior formula car, there's no pit stops or anything. So it's very centered around the driver. There's so much that goes on behind the scenes where a team plays such a vital role um, in the driver's you know, results, even to when they're going back to the shop at the end of the day and and going through the cars and piecing through the car and everything. Um, you know, The truck driver making sure he's there on time. Oftentimes they're doing multiple jobs, taking care of tires, taking care of fuel. So there's so many people that you know make the program work 
And at the end of the day, the driver is the one that, you know, gets the spotlight, but the team has such a big role in everybody's success. So before I get into where you've taken the, the F3 championship and where you're going with that, um, I always love to give an opportunity for you to give a shout out to uh, sponsors, those uh, uh, companies that have uh, backed you up. And then I also want to talk a little bit more about the business side of it, uh, because uh, uh, you probably are like me. You started with a full head of hair when you started this business, and uh, you, you haven't lost as many as me, but you probably lost a couple uh, trying to piece together rides, et cetera. But uh, give a shout out to your sponsors there. For sure. I mean, so none of this would have been possible without Stress Engineering Services. Um, obviously, we're in their hat, but they've been a vital role in, in from the F4 days, F4, F3, now LMP3. Brock Spalding's been huge uh, for me as well. And if we talk about the sponsorship side, it's kind of a unique story there, um, how everything ties together. But those guys have been a, a huge asset for me. And, um, you know, obviously all the sponsors and partners of F4 and F3, Honda Racing, HPD, Vijay Automotive, um, even SCCA Pro Racing and Handcook Tires, they've been really big in terms of developing me as a driver and being able to provide me opportunities uh, for 2020 and beyond. So without them, none of this would be possible. So you do have a solid sponsor. You have a sponsor on the side of the car. You're, you're uh, wearing their hat. Tell me about that uh, relationship, how that comes together. Um, what is it that they see in you that helps uh, propel their brand? I think so for, for me personally, a lot of the sponsors look for different things in a way. Um, it's kind of not like one uniform proposal or ROI in that sense. So stress engineering services, for example, they're an engineering consulting company that works primarily in the oil and gas industry. So they look at, you know, big oil rigs and say, you know, this is a potential hazard or you have some stress fractures here, um, go into a lot deeper intel mm -hmm. in terms of that type of stuff, but they were looking to get in the automotive market. Um, so we're using the racing platform to introduce them to different organizations like Honda Racing HPD, like Liget, um, say, you know, is there some sort of alignment between what you guys do and is there some sort of business to business opportunity so that's something that's big for them whereas you look at some other smaller companies that are on the car that are looking for purely advertising or branding or for customer experience where they can bring their client to the racetrack provide them with a really unique uh, experience and environment and be able to do business at the racetrack as well so it kind of depends um, on the different types of sponsors but being able to utilize every facet of racing has been crucial in terms of raising sponsorship for me and ultimately getting to race. So it's been, it's been a crazy ride. So, you know, in 2016, really, we were still trying to break into the racing world and sponsorship was something that was still pretty unique to me, obviously doing go-karts for a while. We've had like, did it just mom, pop, myself, um, doing it ourselves. And then when we got in the racing budgets got really big and, had to go find sponsors. So I was fortunate enough to meet a gentleman through Skip Barber. Um, he, I, he wasn't wearing any gloves and this is going to get a long story. So you can cut me off anytime. Cause I know we got some other stuff to go through, but no, go for it. Basically the guy wasn't wearing any gloves. So I handed my gloves, started chatting with him, both from San Diego. I was like, wow, this guy's really interesting. He likes racing. Um, so just followed up with him. He turned out to be one of my biggest sponsors, even still to this day. He introduced me to his friends by taking me to the F1 Coda event in 2016, went to their dinner party uh, that weekend, met the woman there that kind of hosted the party. She became a sponsor and then she's kind of been an advocate and kind of reached out to her friend group and all of them have kind of uh, jumped on board and it's kind of just spread out ever since. So it's it's really unique in the sense of how it all came together. Mm -hmm. and it can add a 
kind of can all be pinpointed back to the Skip Barber days um, when I went that one gentleman, but it's kind of those types of instances that are really unique to racing and it generates kind of a family aspect too, which is really, really cool. I'm going to interject there and I'm going to maybe challenge this a little bit. It's not unique to racing. That's how business is done. I've been doing that for 25 years is that one connection, that one contact, that one follow-up. Now, you do have to sometimes go through, I, I had an old army colonel one time that told me that with this much, uh, uh, I'm going to clean it up, with this much crap in the room, there's got to be a pony somewhere. And yeah. sometimes you do have to do a lot of shoveling or a lot yeah. of follow-up or follow-through. But something I also want to point out to uh, some of the younger drivers or the shootout drivers or, or even the parents that watch this show, um, listen to Dakota. He knows what the sponsor does. He knows where the connections came from. He's very quick to be able to give that rundown and talk about what is it that they're looking for. And, and that's something that, uh, honestly, I do see some drivers missing as to uh, what they're looking for. Uh, um, they're great at the sim. They're great at the track times. But being able to put it together like you, um, I knew when I reached out to you, you followed up directly. Um, you were doing it the right way and you were doing it different. And that's the way business is done. But that's my, I'll get off my little soapbox there for a second. Yeah, I, I'll, I, I, I'll I think I can that. help some folks uh, uh, along the way of doing that. Uh, yeah. So the F3 leads into, um, through the manufacturer, um, um, uh, pardon me, I'm, I'm an American saying it, Ligier, uh, mm -hmm. being able to uh, uh, run the... Uh, uh, so we the car before the title challenge. Uh, so tell me about how the Sorry, Robert. The audio just ended on my end, but let me let me just refresh. Let's see if this works. You got me there. Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, I got you too. Sorry about that. All right. So um, tell me about the LMP3 opportunity. Uh, MLT Motorsports ran yep. with them a bit uh, last year and then hit the ground running at Daytona this year. So talk about that opportunity. Yeah, so basically it all started last year in May. Uh, Max from Liget gave me a call, said that a team was looking for a driver for um, a one-off event type deal. And uh, it was a really great opportunity because it gave us some time to you know, race at Mid-Ohio. And it was a brand new experience for me. I've never raced in IMSA. It made sense because we were running, you know, Liget and F3. We got a Liget and P3, and there's some continuity there. So uh, definitely jumped on the opportunity. It was MLT's second ever event. They did Sebring, um, which was the second event of the year, and then this race. So I was teamed up with Dylan Murray. We ended up winning that race. Um, it was really cool fashion. It was very similar to Daytona, where it rained the morning of, and the entire race it was consistently drying, and by the end of the race it was dry. So it was. Really, really fun event, um, had some success there. And that kind of led into some further conversations with MLT where we got the opportunity to race at Mossport, uh, finished fourth there. And then again, at the finale at Road Atlanta, and we were doing really well there, but got hit at the end with about 20 minutes to go. So unfortunately ended in DNF, but all of that kind of, uh, you know, came together and we were able to put the program together for, for this year for a full season and obviously winning the F3 championship that really helped solidify that deal too. So um, all of it kind of came together. And again, kind of a one-off opportunity that we developed um, over time into turning into a more full-time gig this year. So the 2020 IMSA prototype challenge, 
uh, series that runs in conjunction with uh, the uh, uh, Daytona um, that was run at the Roar. And um, talk about that series and uh, six races coming up this year. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. So it's a six race series. It's endurance racing format. So the primary format is an hour 45 split between true drivers. There's two three-hour events, the first of which was at Daytona last week, um, the other one's at Mossport. And basically you have, uh, without going too deep into it, you have a, a bronze and a silver driver. So it's basically a pro pro-am category. Um, the, the bronze driver has to start the race and then the silver driver will finish. So it's, it's a kind of a different dynamic having to work with a teammate that shares the same car. Obviously when I was with Global last year, we had, I had three teammates throughout the year you work consistently with them and look over data and video and communicate with them. But working with somebody who's sharing the car is even kind of a more intimate experience because there's compromises on both ends because every driving style is different. Strategy comes into a big role. So, you know, the engineers have a bigger you know, role in terms of who does what and, you know, what changes are we going to make to benefit certain drivers. And even to the extent of the mechanics now we're doing live pit stops. So we mm -hmm. have two, two guys going over the wall to change tires a fueler, a fire bottle guy. Um, so there's a, a huge, it's kind of a, a, a huge program now. It's a bigger circus in that way. And it's really cool. It's kind of taking a lot more information in. Um, so, you know, I got a little taste of that last year, but certainly now doing it as a full-time program, focusing a little bit more time on it. It's been a really, really cool experience. It, it's a great launching point for the the DPI or the other uh, categories that will actually run the 24 hours of Daytona. Uh, your co-driver, Dean Baker, you talked about the bronze level, and I like to simplify that a little bit as the gentleman racers um, that go through it, the uh, uh, Daytona winning team. And I have an article that uh, I posted about the uh, encore that was held at Sebring at the end of the year. Uh, 47 Motorsports that you were running against. Uh, their bronze driver, their gentleman driver, Joel Janko, is uh, a sprite young 70 years old. He could run circles around me, that's for sure. But uh, uh, setting up the car and his feedback in comparison to uh, the, the silver drivers that are in it and, and making sure that there are some compromises that you have to do on the car uh, in certain turns or certain ways in which the, the car is set up. Um, you had a, a great success, I would say, at Daytona, um, that changing weather, having to set the car up for a, how long was it going to rain? Um, was it actually something that uh, was going to dry? Um, you had a two-driver strategy. Some other teams had three-driver strategies, so you're going to have a benefit of your pit stops, but yet you made it a little bit early. And uh, I kind of think you were a, a little bit of a sitting duck at the end as to... Uh, you had pitted earlier and, and uh, used up the, the glean on your tires as the track was uh, drying out. Would you agree? No, for sure. I mean, there, there's, as I was listening to you explain the race, it just jogged my memory of everything that went on. And it, it's crazy how much actually goes on in that race. Because like you said, you have the, the weather conditions, which all of us were watching the forecast beforehand. And it looked like this, I mean, it was a massive cell that was covering probably mm -hmm. half the eight was going diagonal across the track. So, we expected it to last maybe you know two hours out of the three hours of the race. So we had a little extra arrow in the car. We kind of tuned our car just a little bit in that sense. And it definitely paid off. You know, Dean had a fantastic first stint. He went from ninth all the way up to second. Uh, I got and and the, the gentleman driver has to run a minimum of 40 minutes. 
And because they are the ones that qualified the car, they also have to start the car. Yeah. So they were in the brunt of the rain and the weather. Yeah. Uh, that was that was kind of fun to see out of the 18 cars. There were uh, probably uh, five or six of them that had uh, uh, difficulties in the yeah. in the weather conditions. And uh, um, and then you you hopped in uh, about halfway in the race. So your your gentleman driver carried it uh, uh, quite a ways once it started drying. That was key for us too, because last year they allowed a hundred liter fuel tank. This year they limited it down to 85 liters. So around Daytona, we already get pretty poor fuel mileage. Um, but for, for this race with only 85 liters, if we wanted to make a two-stop strategy, it was going to be basically impossible in the dry. But with the wet, we knew we could kind of extend it, you know, get a little bit better fuel mileage in the rain, but also with the yellows, it should help. And Dean stayed in the car until about, I think, an hour and 10 minutes into the race which really helped our second pit stop window. Um, so I got in the car, did about a 55 minute stint, and then a yellow flag came out, which was perfect for our two stop strategy, because then we knew that if I saved a little bit of fuel, we could make it all the way to the end, even if it was dry. So um, it kind of was very tricky because you had guys out there like Garrett Griss, who pitted 45 minutes into the race, um, and they had to do a three stop strategy. They also had issues because they couldn't get the right rear tire off. So he did a full race on one set of rain tires but there's a lot of different strategies going on so you didn't really know sometimes who you're racing against because there's people on the same lap but they're on different strategies which meant you kind of had to race them differently versus you know the guys that were coming through the field at the end when I knew Kyle and Matt were coming up and if they got their lap back then it wasn't a good sign but if it stayed green we were okay so it was, it was a lot going on and a lot of information coming at you which was really really cool um, but at the end of the day that yellow flag at the last minutes is what, what was our demise. Basically, you and two other cars had a, a full lap lead. Uh, Kyle Kirkwood had uh, made the pass. He was on uh, the slicks then by that point. The track was drying more and more. And then, as you indicated, a yellow flag came out. Um, and it was reminiscent for me watching uh, my first time seeing Kyle run was at uh, Gateway this past year on the Oval. And he had to start in the last position, and he uh, uh, yeah. picked them off lap by lap by lap, and was able to go with them. But he had uh, uh, fresher tires, and uh, uh, all credit to Kyle; he's a hell of a driver as to being able to put it in there. But uh, um, you brought the brought it home, and uh, a podium at Daytona. Now that's that's got to be something that you would uh, uh, feel pretty good about on the flight home. For sure. I mean, going up on the Gatorade podium was really, really cool. I mean, it's a full-fledged out, you know, full podium ceremony. So it was really cool. And for the team, too, because they started at Sebring the year previous, they didn't get the opportunity to run at Daytona. So as a team, it was really cool to be able to go there as our first time and experience the podium and kind of continue the success that we had last year. Obviously, a lot of changes this year relative to last with the changing of the teammates and the rules and you know first race weekend of the year you never really know what's going going on but to see that consistent result throughout 2019 and now carried into 2020 was really really big for the team yeah it was it was, it was uh, fun to see um was a uh, was a great race one of the highlights of the roar weekend uh to be able to go on because it was actually racing uh that was taking place so you'll be running the full six races uh for that season um, talk to me a little bit about then, um, you're going down a little bit of a path of the sports cars, 
but yet, you know, this is called 33 Dreams of Indy. Uh, yeah. I'm sure you wouldn't turn down an opportunity to be in a uh, uh, something on the, the road to Indy or that path to IndyCar. For sure. I mean, I think my heart will always be in open wheel. Um, you know, I, I, I'm love, I absolutely love what I'm doing now in the sports car ranks. I, I think my career is kind of taking that path. Um, and I, I would be totally happy if that were the case, but definitely a little piece of my mind is always focused on how do I get back in an open wheel car at some point. And, you know, the, the racing is definitely a sport where um, things, things can pop up at any point in time. You never know what's around the next corner. So we're working hard every day to make sure those doors are, are open for us if they do become open. So, um, you know, who knows, maybe there, there might be some open wheel opportunities this year for us, maybe some one-offs. Um, we'll see, but we'll, we're, we're keeping that door open for sure. You got it. Well, dream with me for a little bit. What would it be like to, to hear the command and to actually be able to start the Indy 500? Yeah, that, that's a dream come true right there. And, not only being able to hear the command and start it, but to win it, that would be, that would be huge. I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I just want to be there. That's the biggest thing I want. I want to get there and then I want to win. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't really know what else could be, you know, there's not much that could peak that. I don't think, uh, definitely not that feeling. Have you had an opportunity to attend the Indy 500? For sure. I mean, so when we did USF 2000, they had the smaller race at Lucas Oil for us. On, yeah. I think it was Friday night or Thursday night, I forget. Yeah. Um, so when we did that, I would always stay for the 500. So I got to go for the 100th anniversary. Okay. And I was insane. Oh my gosh. The get, getting into the venue was was crazy. And then when I was there, I was on the exit of turn, exit of turn two. And okay. it was crazy seeing how many people, when they lined up three by three and took their parade laps, it was crazy seeing how many people were not only in the stands, but in the infield. Yeah. It was a completely packed venue. Yeah. It, it, uh, it's very hard to describe to individuals. I've been 20 straight years, uh, never sat in the same seats. Um, so I've had different vantage points that go into it. Um, on the parade lap of that 100th race, uh, Rossi made it as far around the turn four and uh, the car ran out of gas right there and they had to uh, come get it and, and push it into victory lane for him to be able to to go through that and a uh, great strategy to go through it so i'm looking for my next 20 uh to go through uh dakota um absolutely uh, fantastic to get to know you a bit more to find out about your story i would love to uh, uh stay in touch with you over the course of the season um, I'm enjoying that LMP3 uh, prototype challenge. Uh, those cars remind me of the old stock cars that we ran on the Northwest um, with, the, with the V8s and the, the power and, and being able to do that. Um, so I'll, I'll definitely see you at Sebring and then uh, follow up throughout the season. Does that sound good? No, that sounds great. No, I appreciate Fantastic. it. You know, thanks for having me on. And anybody that's watching too, um, be sure to reach out if you have any questions or anything that we talked about, especially the young drivers out there. There's, a lot to learn and certainly when I was going up through the ranks it was, it was a lot to take in and you don't really know what's going on so if there's anybody out there that's watching this feel free to reach out on social at Dickerson Racing or at Dick, Dakota Dickerson Racing on Facebook and be happy to help out. Yeah most definitely that, that works that works both ways I know what I know I know what I don't know and I'll I'll put you in contact with those that do and uh, Dakota and I uh, scheduled this around one of his uh, coaching sessions that he's also doing and that keeps him uh, sharp and 
and on the wheel and, and going through that. So Dakota, uh, best of luck to you. See you in Sebring. I wish there wasn't as much time between races on the prototype challenge, but uh, uh, that makes you just that much more anxious uh, to go uh, respect the bumps at Sebring and uh, uh, race here in my home state. So uh, until next time, uh, please ask you to uh, subscribe our YouTube channel. All these are available on video, but we're also on every major uh, podcast player, the Apple, uh, Google, the iHeartRadio, Spotify, you name it. Technically, we've got it covered. And I know that a lot of race fans are going to be traveling here as they go to races. Uh, add us to your rotation. We sure would appreciate it. And so until next time, keep dreaming. Dakota, thank you so much. No worries.